Hi and welcome to my latest podcast. I'm super excited you're joining me as we go through the Gospel of John and we look at Jesus through the eyes of one of his best friends and we come across some incredible theological gems, some wonderful stories and just this amazing perspective that's really different from the other three Gospel writers. So buckle up and join me, Paul White, as we saunter through the book of John. Good morning saunterers, welcome to another saunter and here we go, we're in John's Gospel still, we're on chapter 15 today, so if you're just joining me we are sauntering through the book of John and discovering Jesus through the eyes of his best friend and it has been an amazing journey. If you've been around church and the Bible any length of time, many of these bits of the Bible that we've been looking at are probably very familiar to you, but they always refresh us. Every time we go back to them, there's always something God is speaking to us through them. And it's so exciting to be part of that. So good morning, um, Tracy Ann and Fran. Good to see you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And today we want to put ourselves right in the line of fire where you can speak to us and reveal yourself to us and so holy spirit come right now we pray and open up these words and make them live to us in jesus name amen morning rosemary so john chapter 15 jesus says here we go he's speaking still to his disciples and we're not quite sure whether this is all in the privacy of the upper room or like where they had the last supper together or what but this is an incredible um, conversation Jesus is having with his disciples with the cross looming large in the background just about to be the next thing Jesus has to deal with and so he's telling them these things and they're part of his kind of goodbye message before he goes to the cross and he says I'm the true vine And my father is the vine dresser. Now, anyone who's read the Old Testament will recognise a bit of a theme. Hi, Shep, good to see you. Um, The idea of the vine, the grape-producing plant, shows up in the Old Testament a few times. And often God uses it as an analogy to refer to his people, the nation of Israel. And he says, like in Isaiah, you're an, you're an unfruitful vine and this kind of thing. And so it's the idea that God has planted something. <clears throat> now he's expecting fruit from it and he has to tend it and take care of it in the way a vine dresser does. And so, But now Jesus is saying, I'm the true vine. So Israel, you are the vine. And I'm actually saying to you, I'm the true vine. So I'm the real thing that Israel thing was a kind of foreshadowing but now here's the true vine and my father is the vine dresser this is interesting because the nation of israel was planted on the earth to produce fruit jesus is planted on the earth to produce fruit now jesus is not physically present with us anymore but as we read on we'll discover that actually we're his branches and we're the vine ourselves so let's read on so jesus says i'm the true vine my father is the vine dresser so he's the gardener every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes 
that it may bear more fruit. Anyone who's done any gardening, has got an apple tree or anything like that, will know that there is a need to prune it. <clears throat> I'm not a natural gardener, but I have a friend who came and she looked at my apple tree and she said, you need to prune it so that a pigeon can fly through its branches when it's kind of not got leaves on. A pigeon can fly through, there's enough space. So what, do you, what are we doing when we prune the tree? We're creating space so that it can bear fruit. The whole point of a fruit tree is it's fruitful. And Jesus says, do you know what? There is a process that my father does and he actually takes off unfruitful branches. And But the ones that are fruitful, even so, he gets his second tears or his pruning knife and he chops away at it even when it's been fruitful. And so sometimes if we put that metaphor, if we put ourselves into that metaphor and imagine him pruning us, it's like, oh, sometimes it's painful. It sometimes, even though we've been fruitful, he's saying, yeah, but there's still some things. I'm going to just, I want to make some room so that you can be more fruitful. So I'm going to, I'm going to deal with these things or I'm going to stop you doing that because that's not make, that's going to hinder your fruitfulness. And so Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So he's not just taking away the unfruitful branches or cutting back the dead wood, as we sometimes talk of. But he's actually even his attention is even on the fruitful ones who've who've been bearing fruit, doing well. Verse three, he says, already you are clean. Now, the word there is an interesting one because he talks about. When he says every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. The word there is kathairo, which is where we, the Greek word where we get our word catharsis. And we understand catharsis being like a beneficial, healthy cleansing of our system. And sometimes we have experiences that we um, consider to be cathartic and they've been beneficial sometimes having a very strong curry can have a cathartic effect on our system and literally we're emptied of everything that we ever ate in our entire lives the next day and it's kind of cathartic we feel like oh <laughs> oh there we are then and and so catharsis is a beneficial cleansing and Jesus is saying, actually, my father has to do this to the vine. He has to come and cleanse it to make it more fruitful. He has to prune it. But he's now saying already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Now, if you think about the disciples, what word did Jesus say to them? He said, follow me. And they followed him. They hitched up their wagon to him and they walked with him. Good morning, Eunice. Great to see you. Um. And they followed him. And actually, even just in doing that simple act of obedience, it says to those who believed in his name, he gave power to be called children of God. We read that in the first chapter of John, didn't we? Good morning, Lorraine. And so that when we surrender ourselves to Jesus, he makes us clean in that moment. And so that in itself is a hugely cathartic event. We bring, as it were, all of our sin, all of our ugliness and bitterness and brokenness, and we bring it to Jesus. And he says, I make all things new. I'm making you into a new creation. And so just literally by surrendering our lives to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I want to put myself now underneath the authority of your word. You speak over me and 
it's he cleanses us from all of our sins. So he says, already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So now he's helping us to understand how we become more fruitful as part of this vine that he's called us to be. Now we know, so when I prune my apple tree, if I saw off a branch and put it on one side, next year that won't bear any fruit. That's just going to be lying there on the ground and gradually wither. It's not going to be productive at all. So in order for the branch to remain productive, it has to remain on the tree, doesn't it? And we can still prune it and make it more productive, but it has to remain on the tree. And this is this thing we were talking about yesterday about abiding, residing, making our home in him and he makes his home in us. And so somehow we are kind of incredibly, it's mystical and amazing and wonderful, but we become kind of part of him. He, I don't want to say part of him, but he kind of draws us into himself so that we live in him so he is our home he's our dwelling place he's where we come home to he's where we habitually hang out we hang out in Jesus but then he he said yesterday in the chapter we were looking at he will come with the father and live with us and eat with us and it's like whoa what does that even mean Somehow Jesus himself lives inside of me, but I live inside of him. And it's this incredible union of Jesus um, with the Father, with the Holy Spirit and with you and me, his children. And so we become part of his. We're drawing our life from him. And just like that branch of my apple tree needs to stay on the tree because it gets sap and gets all of its nutrients from the from the roots of the tree I need to stay truly abiding in him I can't just say oh thanks Jesus for my ticket to heaven I'm gonna just go off now and do my own thing and I'm gonna I've got some things I want to do over here and I'm uh, maybe touch base with you in a couple of years time or do you know what yeah I might yeah I might he wants me to walk with him every single day he wants me to abide in him every day so i live in my house every day don't i it's my it's my residence it's my permanent residence it's something awful and difficult and many of my friends have experienced living on the streets and having no fixed abode that is a bleak place but jesus says i want to be your fixed abode i want to be your dwelling place where you come home to where you abide in me and do you know what then you will be fruitful if you are staying connected to me and enjoying me and living in me you'll be fruitful so he says abide in me and i in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me so there is a kind of I think sometimes people like vicars and ministers get so busy with doing God's work in inverted commas that they don't properly abide in him and they realize that they've drifted and their hearts are not connected and they're doing good things externally and there are people out there doing lots and lots of good things but they're not connected to Jesus 
nothing they produce is eternal. It's not got that lasting value. It may have a beneficial effect momentarily or for a period of time to the people around. But Jesus is saying, actually, I want you to produce eternal fruit, right? He's the eternal vine. Jesus is eternal. Everything he says is spirit and life. He's saying, I want everything you produce to be spirit and life and to have eternal consequences. So we need to, in order for that to happen, we must not allow ourselves to become disconnected from Jesus and disconnected from this vine that he's growing. Right, so he says, um, I'm the vine, you are the branches. So he's clarifying his metaphor. And he says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is or she it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, that's a kind of bold statement in a way because we can walk and talk and we can do those things and we know that we could do that before we met Jesus before we were a, a believer and so theoretically we can go to work and we can do stuff and we've got certain skills and abilities he's not talking about that he's talking about you can't do anything that is of eternal value apart from me so only that which is kind of energized and empowered and facilitated through that life-giving holy spirit who's in the vine who then comes out into the branches is what makes it bear eternal fruit so he says you can't do anything apart from me apart from me you can do nothing and do you know what as my life has gone on i realize how true that is and how many things that i can try and give myself to but apart from him I can do nothing. So really my key, my, the key to my life is aligning myself with him, staying connected to him every single day and letting his life in me be the thing that produces fruit. Righty-ho. So verse, oh gosh, six. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just a little pause. There has been a lot of talk about this. This this is an oft preached on passage, and so there would be like so many different suggestions as to what these things mean or what this could mean when it says oh the branch that doesn't bear fruit is thrown away and put in the fire and burned and so on I think there would be this anxiety is this somebody who's been a believer they've been unfruitful so then God's punished them and chopped them off and thrown them away and put them in the fire which speaks of hell and judgment and all those kinds of things or what is going on well, the key is let us stay well and truly joined into Jesus, connected into him and let his life in us be the thing that produces fruit. Then this is of no worry to us, is it? It's no anxiety. It's not it does, it's not a nice picture, is it? The branches being gathered up and thrown in the fire, the dead ones. But there are people who we know who have wandered away from Jesus and they've become unfruitful. And do you know what? My prayer is not that they get gathered up and thrown in the fire, but that they get gathered up and 
find their way back to connect in with Jesus again because he is the God of the second chance and the God of the third chance and he's the one who restores us and uh, so let's pray that these dear ones who've kind of drifted away and become unfruitful would be connected back into the vine and carry on being fruitful I know from a natural perspective that that doesn't work, but in Jesus it does. So <laughs> we've seen him do that. We've seen him restore people who'd lost their way and become unfruitful and swallowed up in all kinds of pursuits that are not helpful. Anyway, let's press on. So he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Well, just in the previous chapter, he was saying, um, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, will also do and he says um, whatever you ask in my name this will I do that the father may be glorified in the son now this is an interesting thing because it's talking about prayer it's talking about this relationship so right here's John he's lying at the table next to Jesus and Peter says to him John ask him who the one is who's going to betray Jesus who's going to betray him so John leans back against Jesus and says Jesus Who's going to betray you? And Jesus said, oh, it's the one who picks who I hand this bread to after I've dipped it in the wine. So John has got a privileged position right there. He's resting on Jesus. He's close proximity. He's in close proximity to Jesus. He can whisper to Jesus. Jesus can whisper back to him and what John is talking about is about you and I having that same relationship with Jesus where we are close and in proximity to him so that we can ask the father. He's, he says, if you abide in me, if you're like John resting in me and my words abide in you. So if you're taking on board my word and feeding on them, building your life on my words you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, this isn't like, oh, God's going to grant me my three wishes. So here I go. Let's see a Rolls Royce and a lovely mansion in Surrey and holidays for the rest of my life in Barbados. So it's not that's not what he's talking about. He's saying, listen, you align yourself with my word you get these words my values into your life and then when you come to me to pray for something you'll be praying the kind of prayers I just can't resist answering it's not going to be a difficult thing for me to answer them because you'll be your my words are living in you I'm living in you you're remaining in me my our value systems have become aligned with each other therefore when you pray is easy for me to answer. I've not I'm not going to. So he says. You can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And then verse eight is really, really interesting because he says by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and show yourselves to be my disciples. So now Jesus is helping us to understand what the fruit is that the father is looking for. And it's really funny because it's not something that we've produced by ourselves. But really what it is, is a series of answers to our prayers. <laughs> so they're all things that God's done, which is 
interesting, isn't it? So when God answers my prayer, it's not because I did it. Although sometimes he might say, Paul, you need to be the answer to that prayer. You need to get off your butt and do X, Y, Z and help that person because you have the power to do that right now. But the, but the God is glorified when he answers our prayers and does extraordinary things through us. <laughs> this is amazing, isn't it? It's absolutely stunning. So this is the fruit that God's looking for. A prayer, a life of prayers prayed that he just can't resist answering that then bears the kind of supernatural glorious eternal fruit that he's looking for the kind of stuff that we can't do by ourselves and then the father is glorified so jesus so it's it's kind of like where do i fit into this well my job is to abide in the vine stay connected with jesus that's my job to stay connected with Jesus, to keep drinking that life giving spirit from him and then to pray the prayers and do the things that he gives me to do and puts in front of me and nudges me and stirs me to do or speaks to me, gives me revelation, things I need to do. But it, it, and then all the time there's this life of prayer going on. Where I'm praying, I'm committing this thing to the Lord. I'm saying, Jesus, I'm stepping out in this. I'm trying to do it. Make it work, Lord, because <laughs> I think it was you who told me to do it. So please, can you make it work? You go to pray for somebody who's sick and you're like, Jesus, there's only one of us in this car who can heal anybody and it's not me. And so it's like, Jesus, this is you. This is going to have to be you doing this thing. And... uh there in in all of that god is glorified isn't it incredible now i'm running out of time so i'm going to probably have to stop part way through this one but it's so good isn't it can you hear the heart of jesus he's saying listen guys stay with me abide with me dwell with me have a relationship with me that's every day it's not just showing up at church and singing a few hymns and putting a few quid in the offering but pot that's going to do it it's actually having a relationship with me that is day by day by day abiding in me living in me dwelling in me and me dwelling in you my words dwelling in you my words living in you day by day by day and so we keep getting this word don't we abide remain it might be remain in your translation of your bible um it's that word meno which means like uh it just means abide it means live and he says right here we go by this the father is glorified that you, <clears throat> that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples and that's the thing isn't it there will be things when we're being fruitful it will be things happening in our lives that could not happen by our own abilities and by our own gifts and those kind of things and so people start looking on and they say well do you know what this couldn't happen if it wasn't for Jesus so not only is this person kind and generous and good-humored and gracious in their speech but there's kind of weird stuff goes on there miracles happen you get him or her to pray for you it'll probably work you know, if you're sick, this is the person to go to because they'll pray for you and you'll probably get better. 
I heard a funny story. Someone was out street pastoring and they ran into somebody that I'd, I'd met at Chapel Hay. And they said, oh, do you know Paul White? And the guy said, yeah. And, and they said, oh, he prayed for me and put G, put God. And I felt God. That was it. He said they prayed for me and I felt God on me. And like that's that's the kind of stuff that we can't make happen, can we? We just it, and yet it's that kind of evidence of supernatural fruit going on in our lives. The stuff that gets us recognized as Jesus's disciples, not just as a kind person or a random nice guy. So verse nine, as the father loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Let me just say this. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. That is probably the most mind-blowing piece of writing ever written. As the Father has loved me, Jesus is speaking, saying, as the Father has loved me, how has the Father loved Jesus? He has loved him perfectly with 100% of his nature and his love and affection poured into Jesus. It would not be possible for the Father to love Jesus more than he loves Jesus. Good morning, Tony. That's great for Tracy Ann about the Bible. Is it, it, it would be impossible for God the Father to love Jesus more than he loves Jesus. But what Jesus is saying is as, in the same way, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Wow. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So the Father loves Jesus perfectly and Jesus loves us perfectly. Wow. This just, it is, no, seriously, it is mind-blowing. And I think we read these things and we skim over them. And we think, oh, that's nice. That's kind of sweet. Actually, this is not sweet. This is phenomenal. So what Jesus has already said to Philip in the previous chapter, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Good morning, Tom. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so everything the Son does he does because the, he sees the father doing it. Jesus says, I don't do anything by myself. I do what I see my father doing. So if the father loves the son perfectly. Jesus and then Jesus, the son, loves us perfectly. That means the father loves us perfectly. So God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit, they love us perfectly they love us 100% and we don't need to say 110% because with God 100% is everything there possibly ever could be he loves us that much I don't know if anyone's getting it I don't know if anyone's awake out there but Tony this is amazing this is phenomenal this is this is the gospel this is the good news tone that God loves you as much as he loves his own son, Jesus. Can you imagine? And yet he knows everything about us. He knows all our failings, all our weaknesses, all our lies, all our deceit, all our 
everything, all our history, all the things we don't want to tell anybody. And he loves us perfectly. Oh my. <laughs> this is so incredible. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Why would we want to go anywhere else? Why would we want to not abide in his love? Thanks, Tracy. <laughs> Why would we want to go anywhere else other than abiding in Jesus' love? It's because we're drawn by lesser loves. We're seduced by things that aren't real. We're drawn by shallow vain things and yet we have this incredible pure affection coming from God so he's I'm going to finish in a second he says if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full it's just so cool isn't it he says the, there's a way of remaining in the Father's love, and that is to keep his commandments, to just keep following him, keep walking with him, be, keep being obedient to him. Because actually, when we start to strike out on our own and become disobedient and start doing the things that we want to, what happens is a distance develops between us. It's not like God has stopped loving us, but it's just that there are now things in the way that stop us enjoying that love. It's like outside at the moment, you would be hard pressed to know that there is a sun, but there is a sun and it's light enough still to see where we're going and what to do and stuff. But you can't see the sun and there's no evidence of blue sky. It's just a kind of grayish, whitish color. But we know the sun's there, but there are clouds in the way. And it's like that with sin. If we're if we're wanting to abide in this perfect love, we need to give ourselves to obey the Lord and to walk in his ways and to be obedient to him. And he says, if you remain in his, if you keep his commandments and remain in his love, and then he says, I'm telling you these things that my joy may be in you. My joy, the joy that I have in me will be in you and that your joy may be full. He's not come to make us miserable. He's come to fill us with joy. He's come to give us life and life to the full. So I pray, Jesus, for each of us today, whether we've listened to the whole thing or just a bit, that you will have spoken to our hearts today and transform us by this perfect love in your mighty name. Amen. Have an amazing day, everyone. Love you loads. God bless you.